Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Natalie Moore in for Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Have you heard of the American Songster? He's not dubbed that title for nothing. He's an expert musician on eight instruments, including the banjo, quills, harmonica, jug and rhythm bones. And he carries with him a repertoire of American roots music spanning nearly a century. He's dedicated his life to celebrating, playing, and preserving Black musical traditions, and has toured and traveled all over the country. But now he finds his home in the Chicago area. A drum roll, please, or maybe a quick banjo riff. His name is Don Flemons, and WBEZ's Jason Mark, host of Radio Z and producer for Curious City, caught up with him earlier this year. We're revisiting the conversation because Flemons' album, Traveling Wildfire, is up for Best Folk Album at the 66th Annual Grammy Awards. He started off telling Jason about the connection between sound and what we remember. The intersection between music and memory lies in this sort of place where you can enrich your life and you can move yourself forward in time by just being able to uh, anticipate some of the things you heard in the past and be able to apply it into the present. And that's one of the things that I love about music and especially historical music in general is that it gives you a little bit of all of those things where you can spend time thinking about someone's personal struggle or the song itself can take you on a journey that might uh, help you find yourself in a new way you didn't recognize. Why is memory important to you personally? And then let's talk about sort of why it's important to us as a nation. Well, for me, memory pulls back the layers of, of perception. At certain points, you may hear a story a certain way, But each time you remember a passage, you can return to that same story. And at certain points, the story may mean something completely different when you revisit it. And then you'll have a different memory that grows from it. So that's how I feel about personally. As a nation, I think it's really important because people, they need to just be able to remember that there are moments that are similar to what we're dealing with at the current moment. I feel in some ways... um, As a nation, we tend to get so caught up in thinking that everything that's currently happening in front of us at this certain moment is the only time that anything has happened. But to open up the doors of memory and also of living memory as well as um, analytical memory that goes to just reading into older books, I think that that's something that allows us to be able to enrich our experience. In addition to memory, it feels like your work is also about connection. It's about connecting Delta blues and country blues and country music and folk music and jug band and old timey and cowboy songs. And I could go on and on, but how does it all connect? 
Well, I always like to think things are pieces to the same puzzle. You know, they all seem to dovetail into each other. And after a certain point, when I was studying the music, I began to notice that there were songs that were the same. Sometimes there were lyrics that were the same. Even sometimes melodies that were recycled freely to where I found that, especially when thinking about music as American music as a whole, you find that there's a lot more connection than... Um, you might originally have thought. And, and that's something that I found uh, everywhere I go. And then as I think about modern music and where people are uh, developing new sounds, I find that it's, it's like taking these old sounds and, and trying to recreate them and then put them into the present. It allows for the art form to be able to take a whole other direction than it might have taken before, you know, and that's one of the things that I, I'm, I'm always trying to find is how can a style of music that's sometimes can be a hundred years old be just as relevant to us in the current day? And that's something that I'm always, always thinking about. Describe a light bulb moment for me, sort of when you realize you were talking a little bit about, you know, maybe it's a snippet of a lyric or it's a little bit of a melody. You suddenly realize that they're connected in part of this whole. One of the groups that got me thinking about genres being connected was a group like the Memphis Jug Band, which is one of my favorite groups. And I found that they had a whole bunch of songs that after a certain point when I listened to them, they reminded me of uh, early rap songs and early hip-hop in terms of lyrical content as well as some of the song styles. With my black woman tell the reason why Black woman's evil do things on the slide You look for yourself to be good and hot and so when I started to think about that, it led me on a whole journey to learn more about the earliest rap records. And so all of a sudden I found that there was sort of a moment where the storytelling and uh, the musical art forms had little moments where they sort of coincided and other times they were parallel moments. And then other moments they were connected by a a certain locale or a certain uh, time and place and space. And that's what really got me thinking about that. Well, would you mind playing a little bit of that? So somebody gets an idea of exactly what you're talking about and what you were hearing when that light bulb went off. Well, I'll take a song like He's in the Jailhouse Now. And one of the ways that the Memphis Jug Band did it was like this. I remember the last election. Jim Jones got an action, singing to vote for the man who paid the biggest price. Next day at the polls, he voted with heart and soul, but instead of voting once, he voted twice. He's in the jailhouse now. He's in the jailhouse now. Instead of him staying at home, letting all them rich folk business alone, he's in the jailhouse now. I love that. We're talking to Dom Flemons, the American songster. And I've got to ask, the American songster, what does that mean? Well, a songster in the late 19th century, so going into the 1890s to 1900, it was a, a musician who sang and played a variety of material, and they were a community musician that would entertain and they would play all the different types of music that were available because, of course, this is a time before you had mass communication. So I, I heard this term in some of my early studies in country blues, and there was also... Um, 
quite a few different references to people like Mance Lipscomb or, or Lead Belly that mentioned that they were songsters. And I was drawn to the term, but then also I thought to myself that it made sense to use that uh, terminology because I found I was in a place where I wasn't just playing blues or country or just early ragtime, but also early rock and roll. And I was interested in, in a bunch of different types of music. So I found that it fit for me as a person. And I found that a songster made so much more sense to use in, instead of just pigeonholing me to one type of genre. This is Reset on 91.5 WBEZ. I'm Jason Mark. You might hear my voice if you follow WBEZ's Curious City podcast or on Friday nights when I host the eclectic music program Radio Z. We're talking today with the American songster Dom Flemons. Flemons is a songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, music scholar, storyteller, slam poet, actor, the host and producer of his own radio show and podcast about music. His latest album for Smithsonian Folkways is his first collection completely made up of originals. It's called Traveling Wildfire. How do you stay true to a musical past that you love, that you guard, that you draw inspiration from, while incorporating ideas of your own? Over the years, I figured out a certain way of hypnotizing myself into thinking <laughs> I'm writing or I'm learning a lost record by some some artist. And I try to think of it that way to where I'm I'm using the vocabulary that I've learned, but I'm also creating something brand new along the way. And because that's that's one of the things is trying to feel like I'm expressing myself, but I also want to feel like I'm also creating music that fits within my parameters of the sort of uh, musical journeys that I've gone in many different directions. So I, I always try to think of it that way as kind of a lost record. I find it interesting that in American popular culture, that the banjo is perceived as an instrument played almost exclusively by white people. And the banjo is a black instrument. And it's so important to black culture that you've said, quote, it's a symbol of the survival of black people in this country. First of all, what did you mean by that? When you go back into its earliest history, uh, the banjo is an African-derived instrument, and it, it made its way over during slavery time. It became popular as a, an instrument that came from black culture. Then, of course, as you go into the 1830s and 1840s and 50s, you started to have different white banjo players who were performing, um, sometimes in blackface. There were also uh, banjo instructors being uh, written by different banjo players that were teaching people how to use the techniques of the banjo. So you're having sort of a twofold story. There's a African-American banjo tradition that is sort of a homegrown tradition, and then you have a Euroclassical style of written sheet music that now defines the banjo. So then you get, by the time you get to the 1860s, you still have a little bit of both black and white banjo players taking, playing the banjo on the professional stage. And then after you get to the 1890s, the Euroclassical version of the banjo becomes the dominant form. And so from that point on, that's where you have less black people playing the banjo, but the banjo still is this instrument that remains a strong part of American popular culture. So it's kind of an odd story when you start to look at how the history was laid out. 
Now, we have a, a new narrative that's beginning to grow as we have the turn of the 20th century going into the 21st century, where people are wanting to reclaim the African and African-American and then also Caribbean-American banjo tradition and be able to bring that back into the mainstream idea of what the banjo can be. But, of course, it, it has been over a hundred years of where the banjo has been championed by many wonderful musicians who happen to be white musicians. But it's also, it's been written on a, a narrative that I think still needs to be changed a little bit more. What's it like working to reclaim an entire instrument <laughs> and musical tradition for black America? I've just always tried to make it so that people can know that there's a choice, that it doesn't have to be an automatic white instrument. As long as you have a choice to see that it can be any number of people, a black person, or just opening up the floor so that anybody can play the instrument, that's where I've mostly kept my sort of desires when it comes to reclaiming the tradition. Because I think that there's no reason to have to detract or deter people from playing the banjo in general. But I do feel that, you know, as I go out there or anybody else goes out there, they should know that there is a, a deep, enriching history that is within the roots of this instrument. And then there are a lot of different ways you can do it. Like I have a little gourd banjo here with me that sort of replicates some of the early banjo sounds. And when you start to utilize an instrument like this, Hearing the banjo as more of a lower-toned instrument, you start to hear that there is a, a little bit of difference in the sound, and also there's a story that still needs to be told, even just by hearing it. Well, can we hear a little bit of it? Sure. Well, this is a little tune I put together called Lost River Blues. You know, in some ways, I feel like you're not just reclaiming the banjo for black America. I feel like you're highlighting the fact that this one instrument is a key to a shared history between Americans of all colors and that wherever it goes, it's telling the story of that player or that player's life or their culture. It is very much in 
a personal instrument. You can play it so many different ways that it's, when you get a player behind it, they have their own idiosyncratic style that they bring to the banjo. And it's something that has served this instrument from the very first moment it came to America. Keeping alive songs and instruments, music, culture, tradition from all these regions and communities, does it scare you that like, if you don't teach this stuff to the next generation, that it's going to die? What mm. What is that feeling like for you that in many ways, and you're not the only one, but you're one of a few mm. who are guarding these traditions and how much of a burden is it, even if it's a beautiful burden? Well, when I first started out, I always came to the music, loving the music, learning the music that moved me the most so that I loved the music as well. So the burden has only been one of love and and determination to play songs that interested me in the first place. So in a certain way, the burden is just knowing that there are so many more places to play and so many more people to meet and so many more people that need to hear this music. So that's always the burden is we only have so much time in this world, so how can I get to as many people as possible? But in terms of the music itself, I mean, some of the historical baggage is... Um, can be burdensome at times, but I try my best to really keep in a positive headspace when it comes to it, knowing that everything that came before, it is what it is. It happened. But as a person in the modern day, I know that I can hold my head up high knowing that I've transcended some of the places that some of the earlier banjo players and musicians were, and I've been able to transcend into a spot where I'm coming in as a musician who's... Um, well aware of what I'm playing, and then being able to play that for others and, and having their lives enriched. What would you play for some of the old masters from the 20s and 30s that would tell them who you are, that would tell your stories? At least one of my numbers uh, that it's always been a favorite to me is a Steel Pony Blues, and that's been one that tells a little bit about my journey as a musician and as a person. Because this is a story that's all about generational movement. When you get down to Holbrook won't find me there, good Lord, I caught the first thing smoking down the road somewhere. Caught the first thing smoking down the road somewhere. Cause I caught my steel pony and boys, I'm gonna ride. I'm getting far too old to follow this here herd, good Lord, I caught the first thing smoking down the road somewhere. Caught the first thing smoking down the road somewhere. Cause I called my steel pony and boys, I'm gonna ride. Now they call me Mr. Flemings. I'm a pool porter now, good Lord, I caught the first thing smoking down the road somewhere. Caught the first thing smoking down the road somewhere. 
Cause I caught my steel pony and boys I'm gonna ride Flemings, the American songster. He studies it, he plays it, he teaches it, he lives it. His latest album is Traveling Wildfire Dom. Again, thanks so much for taking the time. Absolutely, my pleasure. Anytime. This episode was produced by Jason Mark, who edited along with Ethan Schwab. For more of our conversations with Grammy-nominated Chicago talent, head over to wbez.org slash reset. I'm Natalie Moore, in for Sasha Ann Simons. We'll speak again tomorrow. It's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.